HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. We'll be talking about cider today and recording remotely. Uh, it's Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, and I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Heritage Radio Network. So let's go around the room and introduce our guests. We are going to have a deep dive into cider uh, with our two guests. So first, Gideon. Uh, sure. My name is Gideon Call. Uh, I, um, I, I'm the founder of Original Sin which I started 26 years ago in the streets of New York. Uh, and we, I also have an orchard on my family's old dairy farm in upstate New York. It's a two acre orchard featuring 150 varieties of apples. That's great. And then, and Damon? Yeah, I'm Damon Sawyer. I'm the head guy behind the Bone and Bottle Reviews page on Instagram and Facebook. I travel around the US and Canada, mostly the Northeast reviewing cider, going to cideries, learning about orchards and apples. And then I also check out chicken wing joints on the way in between. So. <laughs> That's the bone part, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, good. Well, what, you know, I, I, it, it's this time of year. It, it's to most people, they think of fall for cider. Um, and, you know, between the cider weeks that New York State does, the cider feast that I do, um, Franklin County Cider Day is coming up in Massachusetts. I guess we can say that this is cider season. Um, so we're going to try to dive in a little deeper, talk about things like why cider and, and how you guys got started. I'd like to do a little intro with, with Guidon because what's cool is I met you probably, I don't know, over 20 years ago at one of my previous bars in New York City. And you were trying to sell me cider in a can. And we had a lot of lively conversations back then. What Just give everyone that little original sin cider 101 why'd you start selling cider back in the 90s uh sure and actually i remember the first time we met jimmy um and i remember uh coming in and speaking to you and you uh, uh, immediately being very intrigued 
by the category, which obviously is held up till this day. And you've become a huge advocate for all of us. So it's, it's greatly appreciated. Um, so my story probably goes back to really, you know, go back to even 1990. The first time I ever had a cider was in a pub called the Bleecker Street Bar, which unfortunately closed down a couple of years ago. I was there and a friend introduced me to cider. So you got to try this. And it was, it was a woodpecker cider at the time. At this time, uh, Balmer's, uh, even though Strongbow was a best-selling cider in England, they, they sent over the, the cider they sent over to the, the States at that point was woodpecker because they thought that Americans had a sweeter, uh, a nature towards sweeter products. And as such, woodpecker was a cider that if you saw ciders in bars, that was the one you saw. And I tried it and I thought it was good, but I thought it was a little too sweet. And over the next few years, I kept on seeing a couple ciders every now and then, and they oftentimes were too sweet. Um, my epiphany when it came to starting Original Sin happened in 1996. I was in a pub uh, called um, The Kettle of Fish. All, the whole story goes into pubs in New York City. But um, I was in The Kettle of Fish meeting a friend of mine named Banjo Pete, who was about to start, it wanted to start a uh, a company in the village. And I had, had, I had I was running an urban clothing company at the time, and he wanted my advice. And during our discussion, we were served a pint of very sweet cider. And it just sort of occurred to me, why doesn't anyone make a dry cider in this country? Obviously, cider is popular all over the world. So I got access to a little uh, winery in upstate New York and started making mixes and, you know, making, you know, also in my apartment. I went to various bars in the city, had people try it. After six months, friends of mine got sick of me hearing about it. I launched it in New York City, um, only to find that all the distributors at that point thought there was no market for cider. At that point, the crop uh, distributor of New York was, was the Brooklyn Brewery. They told me that there was a product that was launched a little bit before me, which was extremely well-funded and did not work out for them. And they said to me, hey, Gidon, you have no background in the industry. You have no money. I literally started the company on $10,000. Like, we just aren't going to, it's just not going to be successful. So I went around and I literally, that's just probably when I bumped into uh, Jimmy or uh, soon after, I went bar to bar, literally walking every street in New York City, literally hundreds of times. Uh, to the point where I literally memorized where every bar and every street was in Brooklyn and Manhattan. And uh, over time, I developed a really nice following, including places like CBGB's and a lot of other amazing bars. Many of them are no longer around in the East Village. And uh, I would, it was before e I was emailing people. I was faxing one of the owners of the Brooklyn Brewery the list of accounts I had every week to show them that the product was doing well. And eventually that list got so good that Brooklyn brought me in, which was the first really big break for me. And uh, you know, that was kind of when, you know, original sin took it to a little higher level. You know, the company over the years has, you know, in the early days, probably the next really big break occurred when the New York Times lined up 21 ciders and ranked original sin, the top American cider. And I started getting distribution in other parts of the country. What, what year was that, Gideon? Uh, that I've got, you know, I'm blanking off. It's 2001 or 2003, but it was the very first time the New York Times lined up ciders. Uh, and I got called actually from someone from Union Beer, a guy named Rob Hudson. Jimmy, you probably know him. He oh, called yeah, me like legend. six in the morning. Yeah, telling me that Fairway wants to put stacks of my of my product in the stores because uh, you just been named the best American top American cider. Um, and you know, even as I started calling around the country too, Ohio distributors, everyone else was the same thing. You know, as I'm not necessarily market for cider, but you, you know, you are persistent. You know, you've called me a number of times, and people, you know, eventually uh, took it in. And I think even in New York City, people were sort of surprised. I remember going to like a lot of uh, bars in New York City, you know, places like the Raven Cafe on, on 11th Street or Madame Max, which is still around. And people would bring it in saying, listen, 
I'll give it a shot. And they would come back to me shocked. Giran, people really like your product. And they, there's obviously a market for cider in this in this uh, country. Another kind of interesting thing, Jimmy, about that is uh, Brooklyn Brewery had, had, uh, had also a man- Massachusetts wing. And after they took me in, they didn't want to take me to Massachusetts because they said there's no market for cider in Massachusetts either. But if you look today... New York State has 126 cideries, which are the most state cideries in the country. Massachusetts is obviously a huge um, haven for amazing ciders. So from two states where going back to the mid-90s, people thought there was really no market for cider, two of probably the most um, dynamic cider markets in the the country right now are New York and Massachusetts. Well, you know, when we first met, the conversations we had are exactly what you're saying. People are still having these conversations. Why should I have cider you know, especially when there's things like hard, hard seltzer, where does it fit in? And what I love seeing, especially through our events like the Cider Feast events, is just how many people are really interested in it. And I want to just jump over to Damon. Damon, let's talk about your interest and enthusiasm for cider, uh, because you're clearly someone that that can talk about cider. Why and how did you get interested in cider? Just to start you off, because I've I've never we've we've met actually. The reason we've met is that. At a couple of the cider feasts in New York City, you, you've come and sampled original sin for Gideon. Uh, Jimmy, can I say one thing quickly? I know Damon very well, and there's probably no one in the country that travels more and is more passionate. Like he is ab- incredibly passionate, and he documents his travel. He's worth finding on Instagram, but he is just tirelessly an advocate for the product as well, and done an amazing job covering you know, New England and, and into Canada when it comes to cideries. So, oh, yeah. so that with Damon, we know that. So let's just get started. How did you get started? That's always a good starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And thanks for having me on, Jimmy. So the it started on a cold, snowy night in February 2014, I want to say, in a hotel bar in Syracuse. I was working with a couple friends at a sportsman's expo, and we had a good day selling product. And so we went to the bar, and the people who were actually across from us at the expo were the runners of the second largest private game reserve in South Africa. And they're like, hey, let's go back and forth buying each other drinks. And they're like, Damon, you can just get whatever you want. Don't worry about it, because I was the youngest one there. And I was looking at the menu, and I didn't really like beer, and I didn't want to drink. I'd love uh, like rum and coke and gin and tonics and stuff, but I'm like, if I want to drink all night, I can't drink that. So I was looking at the bar menu, and then I saw this thing called Angry Orchard, Chris Apple, and I was like, I have no idea what that is, but I'm not paying for it, so let's give it a shot. And I had seven of those by the end of the night, about 3 a.m., and that's where it kind of started. And so we got started from there. Now, back then, there wasn't much of a cider market, especially up north where I am. I'm about 50 minutes from the Canadian border near the Adirondacks, Thousand Islands. There's no cideries near us within a, about an hour or so. So the cider market's really rough up here. But I had access to like Red's Apple Ale and, and Angry Orchard and Stella and Woodchuck. And, and I tried all those that were available. And it just it kind of snowballed from there. It's like, you know, what else is there to try? And, and sweetness didn't really turn me off. I have quite a sweet tooth when it comes to candy and stuff, but I found over the years that I definitely prefer the drier ciders, but a good sweet cider in terms of like a Perry or something that has a, a good sweetness, not a fake manufactured sweetness definitely also appeals to me. So that's kind of where I get started from there. And as I've just really noticed as the years have gone on, we've really expanded here in New York, the the coverage. Like I can go to the store and I can find 1911 and some original sin, Cider Creek, Embark, 
we're seeing Clarksburg and stuff now. There, there's there's more of a variety of New York ciders, whereas you know before back in 2014-15, we were getting like Thistley Cross from Scotland, and I even someone one of the distributors for the beer store in the town I lived in at the time they got they brought a bottle of Zephyr's Slack My Girdle from New Zealand, which is similar to South Hills, one of a kind, had over a hundred different kinds of apples in it, and it's just like. To have access to that stuff then was just absolutely mind blowing. So, well, that's neat, man. But how, how did you, how did you start doing the, the Instagram? And you know, you're knowledgeable, but you're documenting things. Uh, when did you start doing that? So that started right about the same time, because I learned, you know, because I had never heard of cider before. I had no idea what it was. I only really knew of the sweet cider that you can have in the you know in the stores or at your local cider mill. And once I started, you know, trying the ciders, I was like, oh, wow, you know, people should really know about this. I didn't know much about, you know, app, how big apples or cider, you know, could be in New York. But so I just started documenting on Facebook, you know, that and just posting about it and just inviting my friends and family to follow the page and, and things like that. And I was more big on the wings back then, especially spicy food in general. So that was a hook to bring them in. It's like, oh, well, I'm drinking, trying this. I'm also having this cider. You should check this out. And So how, how did, so so did, to you, drinking, having cider with your wings, that that was, t- tell me about that. You know, I want to hear about, it. was it pairing? Was it just that that's what you were drinking then? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a matter of just, it goes back to the basic concept that I don't like beer. It's not, I'm not gluten intolerant or anything. I just don't enjoy the taste of it. So like when I go to the bars and, you know, I'm finding, you know, the wings or, or wherever we go, I would look for the menu and see if they had a cider. And it's just a matter of like, hey, I went to this bar. They had this cider and they had these wings. You know, I like this cider. I like these wings. You should try it out. And it's just high, a general idea of highlighting where you can find cider anywhere in the country. And if you can't find it, I would mention that too. It's like, oh, they have wings, but no cider. So you're going to have to go somewhere else for that. But it's just trying to bring some recognition to the industry, even from a with a very basic knowledge at that point. My, my knowledge is much deeper now, but it was just like, I want to, I like this thing. I want other people to like this thing. So I have to, but there's nowhere showing them about these things. That's kind of where that had started. Oh yeah. So back so now to Gideon. So Gideon, um, 2001 or 2003, which is, I love that you can't remember that. <laughs> uh, the New York <laughs> Times said you were one of the, the top ciders in America and you started it's, taking it's the off. the price of funny. 26 years in the alcohol beverage industry. <laughs> Everything's kind of a blur. So, well, one thing about you, um, is that you haven't changed. Like, you're the same guy, which is why I love you, because you still go and you make sales calls. You, If you don't come to an event, you have someone there, but you, you're still – you're doing a lot of the same things that you did back then. So let's talk more about your, your how, how you're running this cider business because it, 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 it did grow. You know, yeah, you know, we are in uh, 26 states. We sold in Japan. You know, I, I, you know, the industry in in essence and every level is fascinating. You know, probably the most interesting, one of the most interesting elements, if you've been listening to Damon speak, you know, New York City cider market's so different than the market up uh, in New York near the Canadian border. And I, yeah, I do still do sales cores. There are, there are years where literally I was traveling 15 states a year, you know, going around, you know, um, and you know, preaching the gospel of cider, but it was always sort of very fascinating to me to set to sense the level of knowledge, the level of enthusiasm, 
the product mix and what people are into. It changes. That's one of the things about beverage industry is like the half-life of people that go to bars or or, the, or general knowledge in the industry can change so quickly. Um, and just seeing that evolution to me, even since the beginning, it's been it's been a, a, a wonderful ride just kind of experiencing the, you know, the growth of the category. Yeah. And then for, for me, it's like I, I saw, I remember like in t- 2011, just because of my friends I, at my old pub, Jimmy's Number 43, we hosted for the first Cider Week, the press and trade tasting and the first organizational meeting. So again, other than one or two ciders, I didn't really know ciders. Mostly I knew uh, Domaine DuPont from France, and I loved their dry ciders, but also their Pomo. So um, I, I was ready for cider at the time. But the biggest thing was, you know, I remember when Cider Week started, we'd bring in a lot of different ciders, and we'd even pour them by the glass. And then as they ran out, I didn't reorder. And then it might have been maybe six years ago, Seven years ago, I decided that I was going to to change it. I would start having one cider on tap always, and then I could rotate through. Um, but, but the big change was going from having, you know, example, 12, 12 lines of draft beer to, to only 11 and, and, and having one line of cider. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about that, just how how this – like how does cider become a category that, that's taking a line, you know, Start you, you start with it, Gideon, and then Damon, because th- this is really what's interesting is it took you all those years, and then, wow, you're there's a line of cider at a bar now. You know, I think there, that is the case where cider in different regions is different. Like in Seattle and Portland, where cider comprises 5% of beer sales, nationally it's 1.7% of beer sales, you are more likely to see, you know, two, three, or even a, a larger amount of of, of lines devoted to cider. You also have a lot of cider pubs successful in that portion of the country as well as other parts portions of the country. So I think it is, you know, a reflection partially of awareness. You know, distributors have and brands, uh, the activity of brands, um, the, the amount of which specific regional brands sort of touch markets. The real growth in this industry right now, uh, you know, like the recent IRI data came out where cider was down 6%, but, you know, it was pointed out that craft the craft cider is up double digits and that's been going on for a long time. So in regions where there's very, very strong craft breweries and a whole, a group of very large craft breweries, it's much more likely to see two, three, four lines. You also have an issue very quickly. I'll give it to you, head it to you, up to you, but you have two real categories insider. You have the pub style cider and 12 ounces, 16 ounce cans and on draft. And then obviously you have the more wine, 750 milliliter cider, which is kind of a different format and maybe that's more aligned on towards obviously wine shops and agritourism. So like you're talking about two, in many ways, very different products and, and the matter they're being marketed, especially on like the pub and restaurant level. Yeah. Damon. Yeah. So I think one thing to notice or one thing to, to make note of is the fact that there are some large macro breweries that do own cider wings. Like you have Boston beer company that has angry orchard and, I don't know who owns Downey's Cider, but I feel like they're owned by a larger conglomerate. So you have these these huge companies that have a product different than their 12 IPAs and their 10 lagers. And so it, a diversification of your draft line is a great way to bring in more customers. So when you... And then they can offer them at a, at a pretty low price because it's such a big company. So these bars... So I'd say more for like bars, they 
have the same options available or they see something, you know, they might get a deal on it or they might get recommended like, oh, you know, this is so different. This is going to bring in a different crowd or like you just have the same beers. That's great. But you definitely want to have something, you know, a little different and cider can do that. So these bars will take a chance on getting, bringing an Angry Orchard or a Stella, you know, whatever your re- the regional distributor carries. And then they, it'll definitely find a niche. And then people will be like, yeah, you know, I like that because it isn't a beer. It isn't whatever. I don't really think you see seltzers on tap too much as far as I pay attention anyway. So it definitely helps bring a little diversification to your offerings. And going to what Kedon said about craft breweries. So that's where you're going to find maybe a bit different kind of cider. So, for instance, where I live right now, I live in a tiny town. There's only two bars. I doubt there's going to be any cider. But where I used to live was like 20,000, 30,000 with a, with a military base. There was a lot of bars. So there was a couple places that had Stella cider on tap for the longest time. And then they switched to Angry Orchard. And then there was another place that had like 40 draft lines and like 50 cans. They had like four different varieties of Cider Creek. And I think they had the Dry Rosé at one point from Guidon, but they had a variety of stuff. And then we have a couple craft breweries there. They always carry something from one of the local cideries about an hour north of me. And then they also carried a couple cans. So definitely people who are in the drink industry appreciate different drinks. So they're more willing to bring in different things because they, they might know they, they, it's like, you look like you're taking a chance, but they know, oh, you know, we get the right people in. They're going to like this. They're going to know. They're going to tell their friends and it's going to take off from there. So it's definitely two different views of big bars or little bars will take advantage of these deals from these macro breweries that have a cider wing. Craft breweries will t- bring in these other cideries that might be smaller, but they just know what's going to pair better with their clientele. So I think that's kind of a good way to look at it. One very quick point. I think for the first like many years, I don't know, Jimmy, you feel the same way or, you know, that that um, you'd walk in, I'd walk into bars and like bar, sometimes bartenders would say, you know, cider, cider, whatever cider we have is going to sell. I feel like I've not heard that literally for a dozen years. And, you know, bartender, uh, bar owners and managers who are obviously one of the gatekeepers in this industry have become much more discerning of what they want to carry and understanding quality, which is a big deal. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's come a long way. So let's just get a little more into specific cider. So let's start, go back to Damon. Damon, you're traveling the Northeast, New England, Canada. Let's talk about some of the ciders that, that you're drinking and the places that you're visiting because I've met you a couple times in New York City, you know, pouring original scent. So let, let's go one at a time. Let's mention one cider that you – you know, either have visited or that you like to see in a, you know, on draft somewhere. Oh, oh. craft. Interesting. You know, no more Stella. We're not going to talk about Stella anymore or, <laughs> or general yeah. angry orchard. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough, you're, to talk you're, about you're in because... demand, bro. I mean, honestly, like I do know that, that, you know, that Saturdays want you to stop by. And I, I've seen that you've been to places like, Finger Lakes, and I don't know if you go. Do you go to the Franklin County Cider Days? Uh, I might be. Well, that's a that's a TBA, but I haven't been there yet. I haven't been there yet. Yeah. So let's so let's 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 dive. Let's pick a region with you. Dive into either Finger Lakes or Canada. What's a region that you really like? And let's talk about a couple of the cideries. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So to to get started one of the closest areas to me that has great cider is actually Prince Edward County in Ontario. That's only, 
I say only about two and a half hours away. That's like the closest great area of cider and wine to me. So I would say within just a small region, you have some people that uh, that might bring some knowledge like field bird cider. A lot of people respect Ryan, who's the head cider maker there. You've got Lockmore cider. They the wife is a pomelia. She's a pomelier. There's a place I say that called Cold Creek. He's a politician who bought a vineyard and he's making like small batch cider out of like a hundred gallon drums and they're just incredible. They have like a a feel of like ciders from Brittany and in areas like that. So Prince Edward County is definitely one place. It's so close and it's there's so much going on. You've got so it's county Prince, cider. Prince Edward County, Ontario. We can look Ontario. that up, but Yes. What, what, what is it? What is it opposite? Is it across the St. Lawrence River? Uh, it's across Lake Ontario. So you would. It's about halfway between like Toronto and the Thousand Islands. It's it's well, it's a little closer to the Thousand Islands. About once you get into Canada, because like I said, it's about fifty minutes to Canada from me. It's about an hour, maybe a little hour and a half down the four hundred one south, and then. So how do you cross over? How do you cross over? You 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 are in you're in Syracuse. Where, how do you get to this part of Canada? Yeah, I'm a couple hours north of Syracuse. So well, there's three crossings up because we have the St. Lawrence River right there. So it's an easy access. So you have a crossing in Augensburg, Messina, and the Thousand Islands, Alex Bay. I always go the Alex Bay route, partially because I like the bridge. I don't care for the Prescott Augensburg Bridge. That's a very long one, and it like the way it's set so the snow doesn't form during the winter it pulls your car off to the side it's very discerning if you don't like crossing bridges over deep water but you've got three those three and there's also a ferry if you're into that there's a ferry that goes straight from cape vincent which is a little tiny haven to kingston ontario so there's four different ways in that area to so, get so over it sounds to like we're fighting the war of 1812 all over again <laughs> it's well, the only time i've ever heard of kingston ontario with there was a, there was a battle up there on during the War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just trying to get a sense of where you live because honestly, I don't. I've never been there. Even years ago, I was at a New York State drinks conference and they'd start talking about the Thousand Islands. I still don't know where that is. I remember from Little House on the Prairie, her dad grew up in Malone, New York. Are you anywhere near Malone, New York? Malone is about an hour and a half northeast-ish. <laughs> so the easiest way to explain this is you go about a little over an hour north on 81 from Syracuse. You get off at Watertown, and then you take Route 11 40 minutes north, and then you'll run to where I am. But yeah, I'm in the absolute middle of nowhere. 1911 is the closest cidery to me in the States. They are just south of Syracuse. That's about a... Uh, a couple hour drive. There's a cidery in Mallory town, Ontario called bushel B U S L. They are actually as the crow flies and now distance wise, the closest cidery to me. They're only, they're less than an, a little like an hour and a half ish away. And there's, then there's Cannab orchard in Messina. That's also about a little over an hour away. So those are, that's, those are my options. If, if you look at those places on a map, that that's what I have. That's where I am. Way so for up you, north. your, your, your backyard is, is Canada, Ontario. And yes. um, what's so like, let's go into, I know for our regular listeners, how are Canadian apples different? How are their ciders different? I mean, were they, were they thriving before, you know, did, did they all just start with the craft beer era or, have there been, you know, thriving cideries and orchards 
in that part of Canada for a long time. So the Ontario region is actually where the Macintosh apple was discovered, if that gives you an idea. So they, they've had access to some high-quality apples for a long time. And it's funny, I actually listened to your previous cider recording with the, the gentleman from Quebec and Page, and he gave a great history of, of the Canadian cider scene and how it got started and how we didn't well, – So you guys, a Cider Planet yeah. book with a yes. Claude Jolissier. Jules- so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they uh, they didn't have prohibition, so they didn't really have that dimming of cider like we did here. So I'd say it's been pretty solid. Now, my knowledge of their history is not too great. I, I have someone right on. I could call at any time. He's the head of the Canadian Cider Association. He could tell me anything I need to know, and he's gotten me into a lot of these places. So, but yeah, so I would say like they – one of the big things about Ontario that's different than New York is most places don't sell, like you can't go to your grocery store and there isn't just like liquor stores. So they, the government runs everything. They have government run stores called the beer store. And then the LCBO, the liquor control board of Ontario, the LCBO is where you're going to find cider or Calvados or ice cider, any of that kind of stuff. That's where the government of Ontario allows producers to sell their ciders, wine, spirits, things like that. But, the thing is that there's a high cost of getting into those buildings. So mostly what you're going to find are ciders from big distributors and producers like Molson and Coors and Labatt and their cider wings. So if you want to find the real good cider, you do have to search. But Ontario has 130 plus cideries and many of them are close to the 401, which is the main thoroughfare in Ontario. So it's not hard to find good cider right off the beaten path. So can what happens when you go to the cideries? Can you taste? Can you buy product? Oh, it's a it's exactly the same as, as any cider here in the States. Some places, you know, might just be a little hole in the wall. You just show up and give them some money. They'll give you a cider. Some places they have a tasting room. I was so additionally being the Prince Edward County that the week after I actually ended up in Niagara on the Lakes, which is probably one of the more well-known wine and cider regions in the Northeast, right by the Buffalo Niagara Falls region. And so I ended up there and there was a couple huge places with large decks and games and drafts and everything you can, you can think of. So yeah, it's, it's all, it's the same idea as in the States, just the prices look a little higher. That's, that's really the only difference I would say. That's pretty neat, man. I hadn't thought about going up to, that part of Canada, and it looks like we're going to have to do a follow-up show with you with the head of the Canadian Cider Organization. Oh, Barry would um, love to be on sure. this. Oh, yeah. Now, back, now, now so back to Gideon. So, Gideon, um, your ciders, just tell us the first cider you, you made and then just how the lineups evolved because, for example, like your Black Widow or your Dry Rosé, those have definitely been really popular in recent years at the, at the, the Cider Feast events that I run. So my original, original cider um, was a drier cider that I made in this, in this winery in uh, Orange County in Washingtonville. There was about four cideries making a cider at the time. There was very few, there's very few licenses in the whole country where you could actually make cider at that point. And sort of interestingly enough, one of the people in that was making a cider was a guy named Brendan um, who run a cider called Kelly's. I don't know if you remember that, Jimmy. But uh, he got his cider into – he started uh, an Irish cider brand in his country, and he got into most all, almost all the Irish pubs in New York City. But he told me – he kept – I would go up there, and he was a really charismatic fellow. He's like, Gidon – I can't do the Irish accent, but make it dry. 
these suiciders are shit. And uh, and he's, he's, he ha- he actually ha- had a hugely I- impactful influence on me as far as the level of sweetness and dryness. Also, in the beginning, I did a lot of events in galleries in New York City, and I was very, very sensitive to what people were saying. And I would do these events and I would hear people say, like in New York City, obviously, as opposed to most demographic, the average person going to bars is a little older and people did not want a sweet cider. So that obviously impacted me a lot as I took the product drier and drier. Today, it is no doubt the case that um, uh, the Black Widow is sort of the lead brand. Uh, I try to do uh, when I do fruit ciders, I try to do fruit ciders that are you know, made with high quality fruit. Are you going to get enough of that fruit? but yet still very drinkable and keeping it as dry as possible and f- fulfilling, you know, people's uh, um, uh, interest in tasting the fruit, but yet still making a refreshing drink. So that's sort of, that would sort of be my angle with making fruit ciders. Um, you know, and yeah, we've kind of expanded the product line. We do have a bunch of single varietals. I'm drinking right now a Northern Spy. We won uh, three gold medals at the la- 2021 uh, Glencap for some of our, our products, including our, our single varietal Newtown Pippin. So I'm very proud of the, of the single varietals. Obviously with the single varietals, when it, uh, you know, there has to be the awareness of the apple and the knowledge based for people for that those products. Not necessarily, but it would help in terms of the popularity of those products. But I think that the more people learn about the apple and the history of apples, the more they would appreciate those sort of products. And I think with obviously 1,200 cideries and the amount of knowledge which is growing in the category, the future bodes well for, you know, products which are really focused on, you know, history, information, and quality. So yeah. So so Damon, um, you're way up by Canada, but yet you've I've met you in New York City, and you've come down to the events. Um, the, you're really a, a star. Then I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, what, what what is it like when you serve? You you've you've poured the original sin the last couple of cider feast events. Just tell me about like how do you describe some of that to customers? What's the interaction like, you know, w- with the customers, and how does it feel for you being in New York City uh, at a cider event? It's it's actually quite interesting. So New York City, and I don't want to take this political, but like New York City isn't really viewed too fondly in these parts for a lot of people. So like thinking going down to New York City is definitely a strange idea, and people are like, oh, what are you going to go down there for? So it is because it's a six hour drive too, but I really enjoy the cider scene that's going on and people are so passionate. And that's the thing. Like, I don't care where I'm going. Like I go to Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Boston. I don't in the middle of nowhere, some little hick town with more sheep than people. As long as people are interested about cider, that's, that's where I want to be. So going to these events, people and of course, I have a lot of customer service experience with my previous, with my jobs. So standing in front of people and talking about something is second nature to me. So that doesn't that doesn't bother me at all. So it's it's really fun. It's something that I'm passionate about too. I'm not telling them about you know some whatever. It's something that they're they're here. They want to know about. They mostly want to drink what I have in my hands, but they also would like to know about what I'm talking about. So I do find that fun, and it it starts out because we have so many products. Gidon offers. So I usually try to start with like the the Macintosh or the the Northern Spy, and then we go to that to the the Dry Rosé, then to the oh, the the New York Dry and the sixteen ouncer. We always leave the Black Widow for last because that's the one. It's I enjoy seeing people's eyes. Like I they like all the ciders that they've tried, and then I give them the Black Widow, and it, either because they've heard about it and they're really anticipating trying it, or they're just 
you tell them it's going to be tart, it's going to be fruity, it's going to, it's like a bite, it's just going to bite your tongue. And they're like, oh yeah, okay. And then they try it and their eyes just like widen, just like, whoa, I, they just weren't expecting You cannot prepare them for the Black Widow and it's just, it's fantastic to, to see how passionate that makes them. And then many times people come up, they'll come back a second, third, fourth time. And, and you know, the, what they say, the, the drunk mouth says with the sober heart feels. And so they're like, Oh, <laughs> this is the, uh, this is my, f- I've been to everywhere four times. This is my favorite table. Cause you guys have the best cider. And maybe I'm just not being stingy with my pores. And that's also why they like coming over. It's hard to say, but they do enjoy the, the original sin they're taking photos of the cans they're asking about our instagram and our, our social media handles and they're always asking where can i get this and that's the one problem because i don't know much about new york city all i know is go to whole foods that's all i know you just go to whole foods they'll have something which we found out since there's that one across from the union square that they have the dry rose and the black widow we're working on trying to get like the macintosh and the, the northern spy and some different stores especially up my way but that's that's what I tell them. I, hey, I go through. Damon, yeah. you guys, wait, stop for a second. You just had the best quote ever. The drunk heart says what the sober heart feels. Yeah, the, the, the drunk <laughs> mouth. Yeah, the drunk mouth says what the sober heart drunk feels. <laughs> Yo, D- Damon, actually, can, uh, you know, you know, if you don't mind talking about it, talk about. Can you talk about TCE a little bit? Because obviously, that's sort of a oh, group within yeah. the category within cider world which is obviously phenomenally passionate knowledgeable a lot of fun and that's actually obviously we've been we've both been involved with it so you've oh been involved sure much, much higher yeah levels. yeah i'd love to talk about that for real quick so yeah and they're actually, actually they're who really got me into the cider and the, the fancier ciders i guess you could say so tce stands for the cider exchange so as everyone knows shipping alcohol is a tough thing you have to get licensing and whatnot so what and it's Ever since the pandemic has actually become easier, more places have gone out and gotten licenses. But before that, you would see a cidery in, I don't know, let's say New York and you live in Illinois. You'd see them produce a cider and market it. And it's like, wow, that sounds fantastic, but I'll never be able to try that. What the TCE is, is it's a group of people around the country who are passionate about cider and who find ways of getting cider to people in other states through a variety of methods. And you guys have Facebook. Yeah, you have uh, Facebook events, right? And it's, it's, it's really close. But yeah, we have Facebook events. Yeah. So th- what is this like a, a swap? Is it, it, it? It's yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's swap. a swap group. Exactly. But but the level of like knowledge and palate sophistication of the group is is extraordinary. So if you everybody's interested in checking out a TCE on Facebook, oh, this, so, this is cool. I think both the you know feel very comfortable selling people on uh, on the group. We keep that a little low key just because it's a little like iffy about oh sending cider to each other like shipping alcohol in the mail as a civilian. It's just like it's one of those things like we have to keep the group private kind of thing. Like you're not just going to type TCE and find it kind of thing. You'd have to be invited, but. No, it's not like a secret or anything, but it's just one of those things like we wouldn't run ads about the group. Hey, come join us, you know, like the Chonky Cats group or whatever that Facebook sponsors kind of deal. It's it's one of those things you got to, you know, but it's fun. It's it's there's a great group of people. Yeah. Well, you're, you're acting as pri- private citizens. You're yeah. not, you yeah. know, you're not representing. But that's cool. So like, what 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 are some other sides that you've discovered that way? I mean, I, I really want to pull it out of you, Damon, because I know if I looked at Instagram right now, oh my god, yeah, I could find you know how many how many ciders have you tried? A thousand, two thousand. I mean, so I never count anything that's like a sample, like in terms of like so anything. Anytime I've gone to a cidery and I've 
maybe I tried eight things on tap. I would only have the one post about it. So if you look at my my page, I have uh, close to 900 posts. And then I posted on an other account before I realized you have to split your interests into different pages for the best algorithm feed. So I had tried a lot of cider before that, but but for the cider exchange, I've tried stuff from California. I've tried stuff from Illinois, different places in New York, even like just because New York is such a large state, one of the heads of the TCE lives in Buffalo. And so he has access to a lot of the Western New York cideries. And so he's been able to get some stuff from me. I was able to get him some stuff from this side of Canada or, you know, New England. And we've just worked with each other to, to get ciders or like sometimes we'll go in on orders. Like one time they, they closed down, unfortunately, the beginning of this year, but there was a bottle shop in the UK called Scrattings and they shipped English cider to the US. And so a few people went in on an order from them and they were able to get like some Pilton's and some Nightingale and some Oliver's and things that you would never ever be able to get in the States. They were able to get some of that. So that was just like a cool collaboration that we did with each other and just things like that. So I but I've been able to try a lot of ciders from around the US and beyond just from what people had in their stash that they that they sent over. And Damon, some of the cool people involved included like uh, Chuck uh, Sheldon from Albemarle Cider Works. Oh, Ron's yeah. Cider. We got some really, really cool cider personalities in that group. Yeah. And Ron Sensone, obviously, from Spoken Spy. So we got we to gotta give them some props. Oh. So. Hey, guys, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Join us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. There's over 30 podcasts each week, the world of food, drinks, farming, and more, Heritage Radio Network. Org. All right. We're talking about cider. We're going really crazy talking about cider in Canada and uh, the founder of Original Sin Cider. So we got Guidon and Damon. So Guidon, uh, when, when Damon was talking about the Black Widow cider by Original Sin, uh, he really perked up. What is the Black Widow? I've, I've noticed at events that people seem to really remember it. You know, it is a, a blackberry cider. I think a few of the things that work for it is that when you use fruit insider, if you can use a fruit with some tannins, some acidity, the key to make a really good fruit cider is having a really balanced product. And blackberries work just really well with that. I think there's a lot of uh, fruits you add that are just too singular and just don't make interesting ciders. So the nicest compliment we get with the Black Widow is that it tastes like a Lindemann's Frambois. When I started this company in 1996, I remember getting a book about the 50 best beers in the world and seeing like Lindemann's like three of the top 50. This is like before the craft beer industry kind of blew up, like three or four of the top 50 beers were Lindemann's. So when people say that, I was like, wow, that's quite an amazing compliment. I'm not saying that we deserve it, but um, but it is good that people might think, at least think in that way. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a blackberry cider with sort of nice complexity. 
So, but now Gidon, so you're not getting you're not getting overwhelmed, sweetness. Yeah. Well, how about this in terms of like how consumers and marketing's evolved for cider? Yeah. Like you're even saying when yeah. you started, it used to be compared to beer or sold through beer distributors, but now. Do you have to reference beer at all when you're selling cider? Because I don't think of it as – I feel it's its own category and and people know that. It's absolutely its own category. But I would say that there is certainly a very different challenges now to the beginning because now you have 1,200 cideries, you know, probably what th- tens of thousands of cider skews. So it does become very challenging to make a product that, you know, obviously you want to start with a high – really high quality product, but that a product that people are going to, you know, uh, uh, sort of by nature, uh, want to try and, 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 and order again. So it, it, it is challenging, but challenging in very different ways today than it once was. So, yeah. And, and how, how do you, I mean, what, what's your research that you do as you develop a product? Cause you know, you're shipping in different States. The best research you could possibly do is to be on the streets uh, and so like, I feel very fortunate that like, I probably in my 26 years walk the streets for this category more than anybody. And just naturally by being out there, you, you, you understand the, 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 you know, what's going on. And obviously you inherently want to make a product that speaks to you as well. So you have to couple those two things. That's great. So, so um, either for you or Damon, let's, let's talk about your your Apple project. Um, sometimes I've heard it called Hudson Valley Apple project. W- what is it? Damon, you, you were there. Tell us about the experience and why does it exist? Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's a fantastic little facility. So on, I believe it was Gidon's parents or grandparents lands. He bought this and he put up a couple acres worth of experimental trees. He's got over a hundred and different, 150 different varieties of apples. Most of them are cider specific or they're just not really apples you would find in the store that you'd want to, you know, just pick and eat things like that. But he it just grew out of his passion for cider and just trying to find, you know, the quality apples to make the best cider and just to share all these rare, interesting apples. He's got apples that grow like a star. He's got ones that grow like a pear, that ones that taste like a pineapple is just it goes on and on many red flesh varieties. So it's just, it's just an experience to walk through. And he's such a wealth of knowledge. Like you can spend an hour in each row, just talking about one or two trees within that row. It's just, it's just an awesome experience. And he does do tours every Saturday. You just got to email the Hudson Valley Apple project and, and set that up and he can take care of you. But it's, it's just a great place to go and learn about apples and to see all these apples that just, you would never see in the store. It just blows people's minds of what apples can be. Uh, yo, David, th- yo, th- thanks for saying that. But actually, what, how you know, that last line is kind of like maybe the mission statement of like, you know, what apples can be. Um, the intent was like, you know, in this country, 12 apples represent 88% what's sold in supermarkets. The average Americans had 86 varieties of apples in their lifetime, but there are over 7,500 varieties of apples uh, today. Probably a larger number than that, but let's just call it 7,500. At the peak of the golden age of pomology in America, there were as many as 20,000 known varieties. M- many of them have been lost to history. But so when was the, this? Like I was, 1890? Um, uh, golden Age of Pomology is 1805 to 1905. And the, the, the peak of the Golden Age is considered to be right before the Civil War. So at the time, like almost every community in this country that grew up, could grow apples, grew apple with civic pride. Like I, apple near, like Damon, not that close to Damon, but 
like in East Bloomfield, New York, you had the Northern Spy Apple. And as you enter North, uh, East Bloomfield today, you'll see a plaque saying East Bloomfield, the home of the Northern Spy Apple. And there'll still be a monument uh, marking the, 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 the spot of the original tree. You have to understand when we were an agrarian nation, there was nothing that we're more proud of than the apples grown in this country. And I think until 1860 something, maybe it was a little before that, literally 80% of what nurseries sold in horticulture to some extent was synonymous with apple growing because the majority of what nurseries sold in this country were apples. So we had this like incredible diversity, but in the eighties, you got to a point where I think 75% of apples grown in Washington state were red delicious. I think almost 50%, 43% of apples grown in this country were delicious. So you go from this amazing diversity to what it had become at the, the lowest point of apples. But that is changing. And I think, I think you, Jimmy, know as you go to Union Square Farmers Market or anyone who goes to farmers markets, like diversity is definitely on the rebound. And you can tell this one of the best ways of telling this is looking at nursery catalogs. And people do catalog this. One of the most famous catalogs is the William Prince Nursery, which originates in Queens, New York. I think at the peak in 19, 1830, there were as many as 430 apples being offered. You know, uh, that number comes down, declines, declines to the point where, you know, as of 40, 50 years ago, the average nursery was offering 15 varieties. But that's definitely as you go and look at nurseries like the Cummins Nursery in Ithaca, New York, or Fedco or Trees of Antiquity, you have phenomenal diversity, which people are planting again. So... Wow. And then when, when you guys come to an event like Cider Feast or the Union Square Green Market, you're doing apple education. Just just run run through maybe 10 of the different types of apples that you have at these events. You know, we can't, I can't limit it to 10, ten y'all, because I only like getting just into tell our me the orchard, names. Like, There's so many. Yeah. But tell me the names I, of some of the say, like, uh, Getting into our orchard is like getting into like, uh, Ivy League school because we only select apples for orchard if there's something really remarkable about them, but there is hard to do because their apples are great early year up early harvest apples, late harvest apples, apples of historic significance. So it's almost impossible to say ten apples that define what our orchard is. But it's really once again, like Damon said, it's really about diversity and pushing the envelope of what people think an apple could taste like or look like. And also the history, because you have apples grown by Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. You have the first apples named in this country. Um, so you just, just the history of our country is really attached to the history of apples in this country. Tell them about the Turkish apple. Yeah, so we have a Turkish apple named Kandil Snap, which is very conical. And um, it's just a beautiful conical apple. I remember doing the Union Square Farmers Market many years ago where women came up from Turkey and was just so shocked that there was this great Turkish apple available in the States because she remembers from a childhood. And that's always sort of very rewarding when when you get that sort of feedback. But actually going back to Damon, you guys are talking about Franklin County Cider Days. Franklin County Cider Days had a huge impact. Anybody out there should go to cider events. Whether Damon and I both went to CiderCon last year, I've actually fortunately been to every CiderCon since the beginning. But um, you know, John Buck is an amazing fellow in every respect. But he um, he uh, would present a main apple and tell you the history of it, and John Bunker would present a southern apple and present a history of it, and we'd all taste them, and then we then we'd vote on which apple is the best. But I did that successful years, which had a very big impact on me. And so once again, everyone should go to John Franklin's Cider Sunday Days. The next big thing I went to, by the way, very quickly, is I had the opportunity for four years to go to the USDA Orchards in Geneva, New York, where they have 20, it's a lar- one of the largest genetic repositories of apples in the, in the world. 
And you every year they open it once a year, can walk the streets and taste all the different varieties of apples. And that actually blowed my mind. So the intent of our small orchard, which was my old family's old dairy farm, was to plant something in the best image of the USC orchards, but just be very, very selective of what I thought was the very, very best of what I could taste and find at the USC orchards. So that's kind of a nutshell what the whole mission statement is. So like how, how many how many trees do you have of each variety? Are there only one tree each? It's only two acres. Uh, there, there can be, um, for the most part, two trees of each. It can be one tree of each. The ones that do really well and we love. We sell in a farmer's market. If everyone wants to go to Copake Hillsdale Farmer's Market in upstate New York, we sell our apples every weekend there. Um, and then we do the tours afterwards. But um, we have, um, you know, so there, there are varieties that we love and then we plant much larger quantities of them. But yes, it can be anything from, it can be, we have trees that have 17 varieties in one trees. They're sometimes called Franken trees, where you graft crazy varieties. And you can have as many as 100 varieties, unlimited varieties on, on one tree. But we have a number of Franken trees also. But it's been an awesome, fun project. It's taken up a fortune of my time because, you know, anybody who knows anything about horticulture growing apples, it's a science in of itself. And I went to school for uh, dairy farming because we had a dairy farm. But, you know, growing, pomology is a whole nother science in and of itself. And I, I learned the hard way, but like, fortunately, I know a lot of people, part of being in the cider industry is knowing orchardists. And I know a lot of orchardists, both me and Damon know a lot of orchardists who you can call up and, and get advice when, when necessary. So over the years I've learned, I've learned, you know, it's been, it's been oh, yeah. fun. Hey, I'm, I'm going to talk off topic just about a cider that, I, that I've been drinking. Um, a lot of times now I'm appreciating that there are good ciders in cans like yours and Sometimes when I'm in the Boston area, I'm able to get even Farnham Hill. And and the one I want to talk about, I don't know if you've – you mentioned South, South Hill, Damon. I think you did. Um, South Hill, I remember a number of years ago, he, he started like a second line called Phonograph, which I, I do see in cans. Do you know anything about that? Do you want to say anything about it? Because I just think it's an interesting um, – interesting direction yeah so the south hill brand definitely is i don't want to say upscale but you know it definitely appeals to people with a bit more of a refined taste he does a lot of single varietals and and crazy blends whereas his phonograph line definitely is more geared towards your your drinker that has risen i don't say above has graduated from your sweet regular ciders to getting into a little bit of a craft but still is on a budget so his the phonographs like the green can which is the dry and then i think there's a semi-sweet which is the blue one those and they've actually won several awards they've won awards at glint cap and at the great american cider and wine competition and there's just a variety of, of awards that they've won and they're very great crushable easy drinking ciders they come in bottles or cans and they're just it's a great way to it's a good middle step so you've got your regular you know your commercial ciders and you have like the ciders that are at only at cideries but they maybe are still trending a little sweet to try to capture that audience but then you want something that's kind of in the mid a semi-dry semi-sweet those are a great place for that before you would go start drinking his baldwins and one of a kinds and his Perrys and things like that South Hill does a lot of great, for interesting foraging around there, finding wild apples as well. And right now, Maria Kennedy and Greg Peck are doing this amazing project looking for forage apples in New York State, uh, which is, you guys, you should definitely have both those guys on. And obviously, South Hill could be part of that as well. So oh, great. Yeah. And just to, just to talk about phonograph, like, so that's, is that an example that, that the cider ind industry is growing up, that there's more people that are ready for that, the next level? 
of a, a drier cider, well made, uh, but still affordable. Oh, absolutely. Yes. No, oh, that's good. You guys, this is a great little intro. I'll tell you this originally I wanted I wanted to talk to to, to Geaton and then because you've been repping him at the past couple cider feast Damon, I, I invited you. And um it, it's really great synergy, the two of you guys. And of course, there's so much more to learn from both of you, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. Um, the cider scene is really exploding. I mean, just a number of podcasts that are that are really good right now. Uh, Gita, and you mentioned I know there's um, there's Ria's show, and you mentioned that Gabe Cook has a show in England. What, what want to reference those those two cider podcasts? Yes, yeah, sure. Gabe Gabe Cook, uh, a couple other fellows started an amazing uh, podcast in England called the Neutral Cider Hotel, and it's just phenomenal. One, I mean, I find it, they have a lot of American guests on it. Uh, I was fortunate to be on one of the guests as well, but um, you, uh, they gives you a real insight into British cider and British cider obviously has, you know, we, we had a period where we, there wasn't cider being made in this country for a long period, but there's obviously generational history of cider in England. So I recommend everybody to listen to the neutral cider hotel. They literally logged, you know, I don't know, it's 50, 80 uh, podcasts, but it's definitely worth checking out. It's great. All right. And, uh, I want to just give a plug at Cider Feast Boston. We're going to do that. Um, by the time you hear this, it's probably happening, but November 12th. Um, why? Because from all of our experience doing podcasts about cider and events like Cider Feast, we've realized that there's a lot of great newer cider makers in New England, and there's a lot of enthusiasm there, and they don't really have something like a Cider Week Um it's kind of that neat stage where there's there's some pioneers like Farm Hill, but then there's a whole bunch of new ones like Bird Dog and, and East Hampton that are hyper local and just getting started. Um, so that's November 12th in Boston. Ron Sansone, since you mentioned him, a very important guy in our industry. We're not going to talk for him, but he will be there. He's co-curating the event, and he keeps he keeps texting me. There's always another new 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 England cider maker that that he's bringing there. So. If you happen to make it to Boston November 12th, it's worth it if you're interested in cider. Um, it's it's still at that stage where there's, there's definitely people that are interested in cider. And, um, you know, it, it's there's so much going on. So big shout out for the whole New England cider scene as well as New York. So thanks, guys. Big shout out to Matt Patterson, our engineer, for uh, help putting the show together. Um, thanks, Damon and Gideon, for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Corboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thank you, guys. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.